Welcome to Behave Intelligently, an uncensored exploration of behavior in the workplace, life, and the larger world. I'm your host, Jay Johnson. Thank you for joining this week's edition where we're going to talk about wearing a mask. I'm joined by some of the behavioral all-stars from Coeus Creative Group, Mark Garrison. How you doing this week? I'm doing good. Yourself? Good, my friend. Good. Uh, Madison Bennett. Hello. Hello, Madison and Stephanie Sim. Hi there. So wearing a mask, how do you feel about wearing the mask in public? It's my civil duty as an American. Wow, you, so you're taking it from the, uh, the patriotic side of wearing it as opposed to what I've heard some say, the unpatriotic side of wearing it. That's interesting. You know, I'm one that uh, wears the mask when I go out, when I go to the store, things like that. Um, trying to make sure I keep myself as potentially healthy as possible and not to share anything. I also have family members who have, you know, health issues. So, um, you know, I try to keep that in mind when I'm out and about knowing that there are other people out there in that same boat. And even though I may feel healthy, I don't want to be a factor in potentially sharing or spreading something or getting something. Wearing a mask is not that challenging to do, but I got glasses on all the time. And let me tell you, it's a little bit harder. It's, you know, I, I start to steam up the lenses and things like that, but it's something I'm, I'm willing to do. So wearing a mask is a behavior. Uh, we have a choice in whether we put that mask on or whether we don't. Uh, even in a situation where there is a legal framework around it and saying that you have to or it's mandated or anything else, you can choose to break the law, just like it, you know, it's, you have to wear a seatbelt, but some people choose not to do so. Uh, there's consequences for those choices. But it seems that there's a lot of pushback and there's a lot of push forward from depending on where you sit on the mask question. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the behavior today to find out you know, what it is or how do we address this situation? Because it doesn't seem like this type of behavior is gonna go away anytime soon. You know, I think it's interesting. And I think I talked about this on one of our very first episodes. Um, I don't think Americans or um, people in the US like to be told what to do. And you know, they, they like that aspect of freedom. And, and while I do as much as the next person, um, I also acknowledge the fact that the people, the other people around me have, have freedoms. So, uh, while I can want to maybe protest wearing a mask when I go into a store, that store has the freedom to boot me out because I didn't follow their policy. Now I do wear the mask, just disclaimer, I'm the one, I do wear the mask, but I don't, I don't want angry listeners writing in or, or sending us messages. Well, it seems like, you know, a lot of altercations have occurred or like arguments, conflicts, and in some cases, even shootings at some of these stores because somebody has, you know, gotten really upset about not you know, being allowed in for not wearing a mask. And I find that interesting uh, because a lot of the times is you can't tell me what to do. But then when the store says this is our policy, you can't tell us what to do. There's not a reciprocity there, it feels like. I think that um, 
in the U.S., we have a lot of freedoms. And I think that because of all of those freedoms, we have a sense of entitlement when it comes to some things like this. Like people are like, this is my constitutional right. And I, I don't really think that wearing a mask is a constitutional right. I just think it's a smart thing to do. But I mean, other people beg to differ. But I think that this is one way that people are using their kind of American entitlement. And it's something that we've seen a lot in the pandemic, like people protesting because they can't get a haircut or they can't get their nails done or they can't go to the store they want to go to. It's been all over the news since the start of the pandemic, I think. Yeah, and I don't understand it. That whole, uh, the argument that masks are infringing on your, um, your like inherent American freedoms. I just think it's so stupid, guys. I think one of the interesting things uh, is where people choose to draw the line. Like, what is the hill that they're going to die on? And you can't tell me what to do or don't tread on me or whatever it is, right? Like, because if that person's wearing a seatbelt, guess what? More than likely, they're being told what to do and how to live and how to choose and, and so on and so forth. And they're okay with the seatbelt because it's a safety measure and they've acknowledged that it's something that's safe. Do you guys think it's part of the problem is that they're not sure whether or not masks are really safe or if they're necessary or, you know, I, I remember reading about seatbelts and seatbelt culture, like when they were first introduced, there was a ton of pushback against seatbelts because I don't want to wear it. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't make me feel safer or anything else like that. Is that what we're experiencing now? Uh, I think that's an interesting comparison. Yeah, maybe. Like, I'm not very good on the whole concept of TikTok, but I really just want to make my own TikTok of me running up to like a stop sign and yelling at it and be like, don't tread on me. And, you know, running over to some kind of thing or screaming at my seatbelt. You can't tell me how to live my life. And, uh, you know, putting that out there. So for any listeners, go ahead and create that. That's actually a very good idea for a TikTok series. I think you could really capitalize on that. <laughs> so... I'm interested because when we're looking at this as a behavior, right? The behavior is very simple. You put the mask on. They're pretty accessible at this point in time. So what are some of the, outside of the constitutionality or the freedom or the autonomy, there's been a number of different arguments that I've heard. Like, for example, there is some, and we are a company of science. Uh, so let's let's start from that standpoint. But some of the arguments that I've heard is, well, you're just breathing in your own CO2 and it's, it's slowly killing you. Have you guys heard that argument or what are your thoughts initially? It's the first time I've heard that one actually. <laughs> so interestingly enough, there was, a, there was a number of people, you know, there was a number of people and I think that they were from different places in the United States. But one of the arguments is, is God gave me this body and it expels CO2 and it doesn't want me to bring be breathing in CO2. So putting a mask on makes me breathe in my own CO2 uh, is, is ultimately what the argument is. And that they can't wear it because, you know, it creates fatal CO2 levels in your bloodstream, um, which by the way, is categorically false. Uh, it has virtually 
very, very little effect wearing a mask for a very short time, whether it's an hour or anything else. You know, some of the actual frontline uh, front heroes wear them for 12 hours a day and have not necessarily all died because of CO2 poisoning in their system. Um, so it, it kind of kills that argument in and of itself, but they've measured and essentially you have to have a higher concentration of CO2 in order for it to affect you. Now, breathing in a whole high concentration of CO2 is obviously not good for you, uh, but the filtration and the masks are not significant enough to create the deprivation of oxygen. That's really where the science is. But uh, some people have said, hey, I have asthma or I have you know, a breathing or a respiratory uh, illness and you know, I can't wear a mask because of that. Uh, how how should society manage for people that maybe do have a legitimate because even if it's you know even if it's not necessarily medical per se but it was some people panic when they have something over their mouth some people have anxiety when they're in an enclosed space how do we manage as a society for situations where people do have legitimate concerns or uh legitimate situations i think part of the issue is the people that are having those legit legitimate concern health concerns or panic concerns um they're not the ones that we're hearing about they're not the ones that are the problems usually they're the ones that will have a doctor's note with them or things like that that can tell the the store personnel okay this person has a reason why or things like that that it's not just a made up issue or um, trying to protest wearing the mask. And I have to believe that, you know, for your other point about CO2, if I can breathe in oxygen, CO2 can probably get out of the mask just as easily as the oxygen. I'm not suffocating. Yeah, well, and I mean, think about it, like if you're suffocating and somebody had a plastic bag over their head where the concentration then is there's no oxygen coming in, there's no CO2 go out, within a short amount of time, you would suffocate, asphyxiate, and die. Uh, that yeah. doesn't seem to be the case when you're wearing a cloth mask. Or even in the wintertime when you're cold and you happen to put your scarf over your mouth in order to protect your face, uh, kind of the same thing. So I don't really know that there's a whole bunch of kids that are going out and uh, snow, you know, going sledding down a hill that are all of a sudden passing out because they've been breathing through their scarf for the last two hours or anything of that nature. But yeah, well, I, I agree with Mark that um, the people who are being the most vocal about objecting to the mask aren't necessarily the, the group that has medical concerns. But um, let's say that some are, then I think they would have to not follow the, the reopening but act as if we are still under the initial quarantine and you know maybe only go to the grocery store uh, once a week or every other week when they need to and and not experience the slow return to society in the same ways that the rest of the community is trying to just for their own health and safety yeah they're experiencing it even slower like a slower return than yes, everybody yes. else and i think a lot are doing that i mean i think they are uh, still ordering groceries for delivery at home or they are going grocery shopping maybe you know first thing in the morning because so many people have returned to work and are working nine to five or 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 at least working remotely nine to five 
I think some of those people that have that flexibility are doing their grocery shopping or their, their uh, errands early in the day when there's not going to be as many people or as much traffic uh, at the stores or locations. I'm not sure if they're still doing this, but I know several grocery stores had a special hour that was like, oh, seniors hour, please only come during this, this time period if you are at high risk. We want to make sure that you have a special time so you're not around the regular crowds. And um, if, if those things are still happening, that's something to pay attention to. Yeah, I think a few stores are still doing it. I think some have gone back to normal hours, but I think there's still some that, that are offering that or for first responders or, or healthcare workers, giving them that dedicated time frame. I've seen a number of the stores continue that practice. And it's interesting to me because most of the time it looks like it's an earlier in the morning or like it's giving that earlier in the morning feel, which is probably pretty smart if you're trying to protect a vulnerable population, bring them in before you have everybody else that's been in there for that day and the cleaning crews at night haven't disinfected. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great strategy for them. You know, the other thing that I find interesting and in, in maybe pivoting this topic a little bit, I don't know if anyone saw the video on social media about the, I'm going to say, slightly older woman at Costco, where she went into like the return line and had the mask dangling off of one ear. And then they asked her to put the mask on because that's a policy at Costco that you have to have the mask on. And she got so upset was, you know, saying, no, it's her American right. She's an American. She doesn't have to wear it. They asked her if she had a health issue and she said no, and then said yes, and then said no, and wanted to talk to the manager and then ended up doing a sit-in and sat in the middle of the exit way on the floor. And then they asked her if she could at least move to the side so that way customers with their shopping carts could leave. And I, the video is, is hysterical to watch. It's short, it's a couple minutes, maybe three, four minutes at most. Uh, but the point I'm trying to make on this is the people who take the effort to purchase, make, buy a mask. Remember to take it out of their car with them when approaching the store because the amount of times I've had to turn around and go back to my car because I just forgot to grab it. Like, not because I got in the store and they're like, hey, you have to have a mask. It's because I got halfway there. I'm like, okay, phone's in my pocket, got the keys, locked the car. Oh, wait, where's the mask at? All right, turn around and go back. But they, they get all the way to the store and they're in the store with their mask, but somehow have not managed to cover any valuable part of their face with the mask. I don't understand that behavior. Yeah, I've seen that one where they've got it hanging off their nose or their chin or it's up on their forehead or whatever else. And it's like, okay, so the purpose of the mask is to, drop, to block droplets. Do you feel like droplets are coming out of your chin or forehead? Right. You've done all of the, yeah, you've done all the necessary work up to this point. Like, let's just put, let's put the condom on right. Otherwise, we wonder why condoms don't work too. Well, yeah, people think that wearing a mask means they just have to have it on their body. They don't have to have it the proper way over your mouth and nose. There was just a, a 
issue at my work too, where the manager was like, everyone needs to be wearing a mask the proper way over your nose, over your mouth, no other way, or you're getting sent home or you're going to get fired. No, if, ands, or buts. Work. <laughs> not here, not at Coeus. <laughs> it's like how there is that photo circulating online of um, a sleeping man on an uh, on a plane who had his mask over his eyes. Did you see that one? No. He was wearing it. No, he was I wearing it like a like a sleep mask, but his nose and mouth were uncovered. <laughs> Brilliant. It's like that's not what we mean when we say wear a mask. Oh yeah, and um, Cuomo in New York. He's like, you. We told you to wear a mask, not a chin strap. <laughs> <laughs> it does kind of look like everyone's wearing it like down here on their chin. Yeah. So what is it with these behaviors and people acting this way? Like, what do we think is going through their minds that, oh, this suffices? This, is it a uh, people just trying to achieve the bare minimum? I'm wear you told me to wear a mask, I'm wearing it. You didn't specify I had to wear it a certain way. Like, what, what is that behavior that, that's, that's going on there? I think for, for me, what I'm guessing is given that the brain goes towards pleasure and away from pain, that some level of discomfort and wearing it or whatever, whether it's, it's hot, you know, if I'm outside right now, it's 92 degrees outside or 35 degrees, depending on where you're listening from, super hot, putting that thing on makes you sweat. Like you said, Mark, you've got glasses, makes the glasses fog up. At the moment in time that there's discomfort, well, it's no longer easy and it's just easier to pull it down or to move it or to let it hang and dangle or whatever else. And if I don't necessarily feel like the mask is an effective means of stopping transmission or if it's not necessary or if it's useless, I now have a pain point and I have no justifiable reason. So like even if I was wearing a seatbelt, I know what the statistics are on seatbelts not wearing them and dying in a car crash, a car crash. With a mask, there's so much misinformation back and forth about whether the mask is effective, whether it's not, whether um, you know COVID is actually going to kill me, whether it's not. It's not as definitive as a car wreck. So a little bit of pain, and all of a sudden, I can justify going. Well, I don't really know what the result of this is, so I'm just going to pop it off my face because I don't want to deal with that discomfort. That makes sense, but... I still think that's a very selfish point of view. Yeah. I'm glad that you... And by the way, that's not my point of view. I wear a mask into every single store. Right, right, right. Uh, I will disclaim that. I have been wearing a mask probably since March, uh, since early March when we were told, hey, uh, this thing's kind of real and it's sticking around. But... Well, you got us industrial level, like Bane from Batman-looking yeah. masks, so thank you. <laughs> Well, I liked it because it had those filters and everything else like that. And I mean, that was something that, that I wanted to, I was like, all right, if I'm going to wear this, I want to be able to have a good one and make sure that you all had a good one. So if we did meet at the office, you were safe and it was a little bit more comfortable. Uh, but with that being said, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting to me is when people are not wearing that mask or when it, when it is, it, it really comes down to that sort of core is this something I have to do? Or is this something of value? Where do you think that that narrative plays out? Like, how do you convince people that this is a legitimate threat? Uh, or that it's, you know, that this is a legitimate safety mechanism? 
uh, but one of the things you said, Stephanie, was, and I thought brilliant, wearing a mask is not even necessarily just about your protection. It's about the protection of other people around you. And I think that if that narrative would have come out first, it might have been something that was a little bit more effective. You know, I would hope so. But in this year of 2020, um, it, uh, I'm not confident that that's what people think. I felt like people were a little nicer at the beginning of COVID. <laughs> if we would have, you know, like for those first couple of weeks when we were all quarantined, when I was in the store, people were smiling and nodding and very thoughtful, letting you pass them or whatever else. I think that's kind of gone away a little bit, like the honeymoon's over. But at that point in time, I wonder if a different message would have been more effective. A hundred percent. Like, cause at that time there was still no real push or heavy push to wear a mask and there was still debate on it. And there was still the WHO and the CDC saying, well, we're not sure if it's effective or anything. If they would have came out with a solid message, like what we talk about in crisis, in our crisis trainings, like the first message people hear, that's what they hold on to. If the first message would have been masks have been shown to slow down transmission of airborne diseases and just left it at that, not even necessarily about COVID, would that have changed the way that people would have looked at this throughout this entire debate? I think that's a valid point for sure, that if there is um, consistent and early messaging about this, uh, it might've stuck throughout all these months, but we had been ping-ponging back and forth between what is real and, uh, and what nationally and otherwise like people can agree on that I think people have just fallen into different camps. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's it, to a certain extent, it is understandable because, I mean, at first they didn't know anything about it. They were learning, it was changing on a daily basis, mm -hmm. not only like what they were learning, but just the rules and regulations um, statewide, obviously, because not much is being done nationally, I'm not gonna lie, but um, in Michigan, we've been shut down and we've even been, gone back um, a step because there was a rise in cases. Obviously, it's been happening not only in Michigan, um, but throughout the country. But I mean, we had to go back to cutting out bars. I mean, if your alcohol sales are 70%, you're shut down now because people were saying, oh, things are opening, so it means it's over. But I mean, it's not over. You still need to wear a mask. <laughs> I can tell you people were coming into the restaurant sometimes without a mask, which was kind of upsetting because you know I'm standing there for six hours with a mask on you can't walk to your table with one like that doesn't make sense to me but that's for another time <laughs> well and just to give you some stats right now our number of or our number of confirmed cases on a day-to-day -day basis in the United States is actually higher now than it was at the peak in April and we're seeing states that are consistently showing 10,000 plus uh, new case, you know, new cases being documented daily. Uh, and a lot of those were the ones that were not necessarily quarantining or didn't put in any kind of protocols or didn't have any uh, aggressive start to it. They're basically catching up from the, the two months, three months they were behind Michigan, New Jersey, California, well, California is still in that boat, but uh, New York and all of the others that were really suffering up front. Uh, the other interesting thing was, is just recently, 239 scientists from around the entire globe all collectively petitioned and sent information to the WHO 
uh, the World Health Organization to review its understanding of COVID transmission from airborne, uh, from an airborne transmission standpoint, right? Like before people, before it was always talked about person to person, coughing, sneezing, whatever it is, and those droplets with the high viral load that created it. But now they're talking about even smaller particulates that actually linger in the air, making it potentially an airborne, in which case a mask would be one of the only ways to essentially reduce that option. So if the WHO, I was gonna say, if the WHO ends up revisiting that, that could be a game changer for the way that people are forced, quote, to wear a mask in the future. Yeah, we'll see what they find. That's really interesting. Um, in a more like a uh, cultural approach, I am hoping that uh, consumerism can help us out a bit. And if masks become like a, a fashion statement, maybe people will go and be eager to buy a mask that matches their outfit or that matches the one that their favorite celebrity endorses or whatever. And it can be like a new article of clothing to incorporate into your, um, your look. And maybe uh, that will serve a dual purpose and it'll protect you. And also people will be excited about the social capital that it helps them with. And, and if they participate in our behavioral elements program and identify their element, they can go to our online store and wear their element branded face masks. That would help with office communication, let me tell you. <laughs> right? You'll know who the fires and the airs and the earths are in, in your organization. Uh, and we also have ones that just say behave intelligently, which when we put that together, I was like, that's perfect. Because when you're wearing the mask, that's all you're trying to do is just behave intelligently. How much Spider-Man say? Anyone can wear the mask. And now everyone should. Listen to Spider-Man. That's right. There you go. I love the pop culture reference there. Nice. So what do you think? And in terms of, in terms, obviously not to get too political, but it is a big part of this narrative, this debate. I mean, there's been a couple of different polls and studies. One of, one of them is done by Axios Ipsos, and it showed that uh, Democrats who self-reported wearing a mask all the time between April and May was about 49% as compared to Republicans was 29%, so lower. Uh, and then from the time of May to around mid-June, uh, Democrats rose from 49% to 65%, whereas Republicans rose from 29% to 35%. Now, the caveat polls are polls who knows how they got their data where they got them from so on and so forth and i acknowledge that there are some challenges with any of these things but when you're looking at a reasonably well-performed poll those numbers are pretty legitimate uh in terms of where where is it or is it a leadership thing that we're not seeing a leadership thing is it something where it's uh just an ideology of a core philosophy uh, what do you think that that plays into, you know, obviously value judgment free on the, the whole politics side, but where does that, where does that inspire the behaviors? Well, I can say being a conservative Republican and knowing, quote unquote, my people, uh, they are all about just rallying behind a freedom whenever they feel like freedom is encroached on. And I can see them not wearing masks just to be like, oh, the government told them to. 
right? It's, they're all about small government. So when the government tells them something, they push back automatically. And I think that's a, I think that's a big factor. Um, but I also know a ton of Republicans who also constantly wore masks. Uh, Republicans also really don't like participating in surveys. So that, that could be a factor too, that you're getting the ones that want to be the stubborn vocal people and may not, you know, fully represented Republicans. Sure. So you were influenced to wear a mask. If we were looking at this from a behavioral standpoint, what would be a more effective influence measure that we would want for somebody that uh, that would be from the Republican Party or even anybody that just says, I want my freedom. So what's a more effective way to, for us to influence somebody to say this is the right choice? You know, I think a big thing is uh, supply of information and not necessarily just the government telling you I'm passing an executive order or a law or uh, enforcing uh, enforcement by police supplying that information out there. I mean, one of the big things that it's, I mean, like I said earlier, I've worn a mask, I followed all of the rules, um, don't really go out of the house or anything like that. Um, but all we heard about is we're making these decisions based on data. I'm a data guy, I love data, but nobody can find that data that's making, that's helping make those decisions. And I think if some of that stuff were more readily available and showing some of those connections, you know, I know you talked about uh, a study on uh, that the, the scientists were, were putting to the WHO about uh, it being airborne. But those things are not always popping up in your regular news media no. where most people get their, get their information, unfortunately, right? That news media is not the best source for all of your good, solid, researched information. Well, a lot of that comes to the media. Yeah, it comes to the media about two or three weeks after that these things are already occurring most of the time. Yeah. And so I think having some of that information out there, I also think um, across the board, the, the education on this uh, has not been the best. And it, it's frustrating because people don't like change. And immediately people were asked to change the way they behave. And then new information came out because everybody was still learning about the virus. They had to change again. Then they had to change again. Then they had to change again. And I think that's where you started to see some of that pushback, which happened maybe in May and June when the weather started getting nicer and people were just like, you know what, I'm tired of this. I don't know if I'm supposed to do this or that. I can't keep track. You know, for those folks in Michigan, all the different executive orders, which I think there was good behind them, but the constant changing. And if you were somebody affected in that industry, like if you owned a business, you, it was hard to tell whether you could operate or you can't operate. I've got friends who own a brewery and a meadery. And with this most recent change, they weren't sure whether they were allowed to be open or not because all they really sell is alcohol. But because they're a production facility, they, they end up, that was a loophole in that process. So I think a lot of those frustrations really started to come out too. Especially if you're not keeping up with like the weekly or I think she still does some weekly press conferences that the governor holds, at least here in Michigan. 
Um, Because there's a lot of information out there in regards to all of the restrictions and the regulations that people are supposed to be following and businesses, but I think it gets really confusing and hard to understand like what you need to follow as either a business or a consumer. I agree. The the uncertainty uh, is so frustrating and um, and so is the the inconsistent changing. Um, It's hard when you uh when you don't know what the set rules are and that's michigan we don't i mean the other states too have had um less communication than what we've seen with weekly press conferences uh some have seen more communication uh some states so west coast state i want to say maybe it was california they had um i think billboards or flyers or some kind of public posters out that was explaining to people what the distancing rule was on six six feet apart. So it was just always there in people's minds. Now, they may have made some poor choices in how they uh, executed the designs, which caused a lot of controversy, but hey, I'm going to give them points for trying. I think we could do a whole episode on managing our behaviors in uncertainty. I mean, because quite frankly, the challenge with this one is no one was ready for it. No one predicted it. There was no script or protocol to be able to manage it. And even if there was, I'm not sure that it would have been managed via the script or protocol. But learning something new every day and saying, okay, now adapt to this. Now adapt to this. Oops, we were wrong. Now adapt back to this. Yeah, I mean, I, I get why those things are frustrating. But I also look at it and say, you know, you got to follow the best science that you have at that very point in time. And if you're not following the best science that you have at that time, you're probably going to end up regretting not following the best science that you have at that very point in time. But I think that one of the things that we'll continue to see is pushback and just a rejection of some of these things until it either becomes so painfully obvious that it's a successful use or that you'll see pushback until it becomes literally 100% mandated uh, by a higher authority or a higher power of government or whatever else. And until that day comes, one of the things that we all have to do is, is live within that world. You know, I think sort of on this topic, is, and this ties into what you asked about earlier, there's been no, from what I've seen, no local push for these types of behaviors. It's all coming from top down. And I think it really needs to be more of a grassroots local change. And I mean, for those that know me, I'm all about the local grassroots type things in communities. But we're not seeing, local leaders necessarily pushing it or communities doing any kind of marketing or branding campaigns about wearing your mask in your local community. We're not seeing local organizations such as Rotaries, JCs, Kiwanis doing big pushes on these. They're doing stuff trying to help in the cause, collecting stuff, donating them to hospitals, frontline workers and things, but there's no mass messaging campaign And I think your local residents and people in your communities would respond better to the local organizations, people that are are in their neighborhoods, in their backyards, 
um, pushing that kind of message. So a localized, instead of get out the vote, more of a put on the mask type campaign. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, even to narrow the localization from get out the vote, because that could be broad, but it would be more of a, uh, we need to change our local street landscaping or I want my road paved type mentality when people are, are really trying to make that kind of a change in their local community. Um, just super hyper-focused on, on community by community. And if every single community started doing some of that, it would change. I think that we have just about run out of time for today. So thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Behave Intelligently. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Let us know what you think about this episode and email us your thoughts about wearing a mask at podcast at coeuscreativegroup.com. If you want to learn more about Coeus Creative Group, visit our website and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Tune in next time where we're going to talk more about behaving intelligently.